Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Ashland University's Professional Learning Podcast. This is your host, Dr. David Silverberg. Joining us today is Allison Yoshimoto Tauri. She is the Chief Academic Officer of Los Angeles Unified School District in California. She served LAUSD for more than 25 years as an educator, principal, director, and top administrator, and currently oversees birth to adult instructional programs for the district. LAUSD is the nation's second largest school district with more than 600,000 students from preschool to adult school. It has more than 1,300 campuses across 700 square miles. About 80% of the students come from low-income families, and there are about 100 languages represented at the district. Welcome today, Allison. Thank you so much, David, for having me today. Appreciate it. Oh, well, we really appreciate your time, given the circumstances, of course, and are looking forward to hearing whatever it is you'd like to share about how your district has been responding to the pandemic. Thank you. This certainly has been an unusual circumstance for everybody around the world. So what would you like to talk about today? I know your district has been so active. What are some initiatives that you'd like to address? So I think the first and foremost piece that we'd like to address is certainly the fact that we've really gone over and above to address the needs of our community. The needs are so great in terms of families needing food. Uh, We just reached our our mark of serving over 20 million meals to our community. We've had grab-and-go centers, approximately 60 of them running across the city since this happened in March. And um, certainly our families have taken full advantage of that, and we're very proud to continue to be able to do that. In regard to instruction, we did not close schools. We're proud to say that we continued to move forward, but it hasn't been easy. We have made a large investment in technology, both devices and connectivity for our students, and continue. We continue to um, reach out for students one by one. You know, we know every student's name and making phone calls, doing visits, uh, sending cards to see if they're okay. And everybody's had their hand, you know, all hands on deck to support students. Just the volume, the logistics of all this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I know that there were, as you say, 20 million meals. uh, And if I understand correctly, there were $75 million that was applied to the access that you're describing. Can you talk a little bit about the scope of this work and the pace? Sure, sure. So on a good day um, before COVID, we serve, you know, almost a half a million students and, and their families. And Certainly when this this happened, we realized that we were about 180,000 devices short for for our students and that the only way we were going to be able to connect with them during this time of school closures was going to be through a device. And so certainly we, we jumped on it really quickly to try to beat the worldwide shortage of devices and connectivity and um, are happy to report that we're, we're very, very close at this time to being able to say that we've reached almost all of our students. 98% of our high school students have been connected 
98% of our middle school students have been connected. And our goal this week was to reach 98% of our elementary schools being connected as well. So it's been quite a lift, but I think one of the biggest reflection points is how much of a team it takes to, to pull this off, you know, from collaborating internally to also working with the city and the county, local government, and all of our community partners as well. Oh my gosh. So just the scope of this, I've been thinking a lot about this as we head into this interview, how to manage all that. What's been your strategy? Our strategy has really been quite broad. We, we've done a lot of planning ahead, visioning around what we would like this to look like past COVID-19. And so when it comes to instruction, we offered training to all of our teachers and, you know, we have over 13,000 certificated employees and they all participated in 10 hours of foundational training, how to access, you know, web conferencing tools, how to access content digital tools uh, for, to help with reading and math and, and content areas. And we also have professional development focused on what is online pedagogy look like? What do those practices and strategies look like? Because it's harder to engage a student, you know, remotely. So we've practiced all of those things together. And we're proud to say that we offered that training to actually almost 40,000 people, which more than our teachers. So our teachers, our administrators, everyone who supports them. And we're now offering a new certification, uh, which we're calling Future Ready. And that is for an additional 30 hours. And it's focused on when we return back to school, how to leverage learning through technology and also in ways that our students can access. So again, we, we really want to have a strategy that plans for the immediate, but also has long-term plans for what we're going to need moving forward. Yes. And I think about the summer and then next year as well, and then into the future after that. How much change do you think this will affect education in the long term? Well, David, that's a difficult question because nobody quite knows what's ahead for us. Um, obviously, we, we take great strides to keep in contact with our local county Department of Health. But certainly, as we watch what's happening around the world, there are so many responses to the virus and how, what that might look like. We're currently planning for both the closing of the school year and summer school and the opening of the school year simultaneously. So we have three working groups going. We are working with districts across the country, and we are also studying what people are doing around the world to ensure that we have the best knowledge available to be able to start school, particularly. Are, are really thinking that we are going to have to leverage our technology in, in the fall and have some sort of remote and hybrid plan, let's say, to ensure that all of our students and our employees are safe. You sound kind of excited by the prospect of this and, and the dynamic nature of it. Am I understanding you correctly? Excited is an interesting term. I would say that um, it has been challenging, but I will say that, that this crisis has presented many opportunities for us to think about education differently, to really create a space to think about the fact that we're not confined by the walls of a school and that we're also not confined by some of the traditional ways that we think about education. Even, even when summer school starts or when summer starts and when summer ends, you know, had its origins in this country, you know, around the farming calendar. And I think that, you know, right now we're in the process of thinking, what can we do this summer that's really out of the box that will keep students learning for longer? And as we return to school, 
we're having the same conversations around how do we increase access to learning for students that need it most? You know, what assessments do we use to ensure that we're able to diagnose student needs? And how do we take advantage of now this opportunity uh, that, you know, we're presented with, with both teachers that, that have more access to students and families and students that have new ways of learning? As I think about leadership, you know, leading this is an incredible opportunity to use your word there and obviously an incredible challenge. What's your advice for school leaders? And the reason I ask that is most of our listeners are school and district leaders from across Ohio and, and, and across the country. What advice do you have for them? My biggest advice for, for leaders is to um, be kind to yourself and to make sure that you're taking care of yourself because this is really not, it's, it's unending for leaders. It's been 24 seven. And from a leadership standpoint, it's important to create some time and space for, for us to stop responding constantly and to really start being able to think proactively around what's to come. And so creating that space for our teams as well that we support to think about, you know, at this time, normally, what would we be doing if this wasn't happening? And what opportunities does this present for ourselves that, that maybe weren't there before that we never thought of before? And so I do think it's a time for innovation and for possibly doing things better than we ever had before in a thoughtful way. But we have to give ourselves permission to do that. And we also have to give, give, our, we also have to give ourselves permission to uh, take risks and, you know, calculated risks and fail sometimes, uh, and, and just know that, that we're doing our very, very best to meet everybody's needs. I started thinking that this may be an opportunity to enrich the team of teamwork because risk-taking innovation takes a sense of trust, and we're in this together, and hey, if we make a couple mistakes along the way, we've got each other's back, and we're going to make this work. That kind of positivity that can bring groups together. Have you seen some of that there through your efforts? Absolutely. Um, we were commenting on that the other day about how it seems like even though we're remote and we're not physically with our teams, that this has really provided an opportunity for people to come together. And I see that at different levels of our system. I see that at the district level. I also see it at the regional area and also at the school level. Many of our teachers are commenting on just how, how much closer they feel to the families and the parents because they're sitting right next to their children as they're, as they're learning. And, and that's a huge lesson for us as well because, you know, we, we always talk about parent engagement and the importance of it. But I think this really brought a new level and a new level of awareness to us about what true parent engagement looks like and how to be a learning partner with our families as well. And what a tremendous opportunity for families to appreciate the hard work and the good work of teachers and teacher leaders uh, and educators and, and uh, administrative leaders across the city and the county and the country. Uh, what an opportunity for them to really see us shine in a difficult moment. I'm curious a little bit about any, were there any pre-existing issues, issues that were already there that you feel that COVID has sh helped shed a light on? Because I have heard that from other uh, superintendents and principals and so forth. Do you feel like there are any issues that this really has brought important attention to? Well, certainly the achievement gap and the opportunity gap that existed prior to, to school closures. I just know that with the economic challenges that many of our families are having, that it, the, school, the idea that schools closed um, just exacerbated that divide. 
normally our schools are a safe haven for many of our students, a place where they can get three meals a day, where they can get mental health support, where they have, you know, a quiet place to study. And um, certainly the fact that schools have closed has just removed that from, from their lives altogether. So I think for us, it's really reinforced the importance of, of trauma-informed you know, behavior and action at the district level, as well as at the school level. And then certainly for our, our population of students that need the most, our students with disabilities, particularly moderate to severe disabilities, our students who are learning English, who may be new to the country, and our families that, that just count on schools to provide that network of, of support services. So certainly that's forced us to reach out and think differently about all of those particular groups of, of students and families. And I know that part of what you all have done a lot of is make yourselves available through a mental health hotline and then also a general hotline that's fielding about a thousand calls a day. That is a tremendous way of offering support for people. And obviously you expect to extend those supports into the reasonable future here. That's correct. We um, have no end in sight regarding um, our supports that we're providing. We do have a general hotline that's open, you know, Monday through Saturday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m and also a mental health hotline as well. And, and to tell you the truth, I do believe we've saved lives on that mental health hotline. The, the stress that students have been under in order to complete their work remotely has been tremendous. Many of them, many of our, our students are taking care of their younger siblings because their parents are needing to work, they're essential workers, and they're just feeling like they can't keep up with all of the work which which I'm, we're proud to say that we also thought carefully about our, our grading policy this semester. We had decided to hold students harmless in regard to their grades. And grades on a good day are controversial, um, but we did go with a no-fail policy this semester, a modified A to D scale for our students. And just to ensure that students who, who were earning you know, A's and B's before were able to accrue their, their weighted GPA for those A's and B's that they were earning. And then also to ensure that students were held harmless if they, if they did have an F and they were in a position where they weren't able to continue their studies. Um, and certainly we're gonna look up to make lost learning up over the summer for those students. Yeah, I saw that that summer school program sounds really robust uh, and that's gonna be offered for all students uh, includes math, literacy, and enrichment, right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So. Well, and I think about your background there, 25 years there as an educator, principal, et cetera, and now to be in this moment, do you feel this is a leadership moment for you? Has this been a neat opportunity for you in your own growth? I think it's always a neat opportunity for an individual to have an opportunity to, to support uh, so many people. I, I'm, I'm grateful for the partners that we've had in this work, though. I, I will say to, to leaders across the country that we, as, as the second largest district, you know, didn't have everything figured out. We've leaned a lot on our colleagues you know, across the country and, and our colleagues locally. The donations that have come in, you know, we started a, a way for, for people to donate because we had so many offers for, for diapers, for crayons, for paper, for dollars. And so we opened up a fund, especially to support our students most in need. And, and also we just have people wanting to help support. We have colleges that want to offer tutoring. So I would say, you know, if anything, to, for, as leaders, just to think out of the box and think about all the partners that are within your reach and see how, how we might be able to leverage this opportunity differently. 
Well, that's really inspiring. And for people that want to follow up to get more information about anything you've referenced today, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Anyone can email me at our email address, which is instruction at LAUSD.net, instruction at LAUSD.net. And we'll be sure to get back to you. Fantastic. I really appreciate all you're doing there and, and celebrate the future of the district. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. Brought to you by Ashland University, your partner in the future of professional learning. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.